Mark Schneider and Savannah Giersch are the songwriting and producing duo Schmarks and Savvy. After being introduced by a mutual friend, the two began to write music together while living on the opposite ends of the country. Some months later, the pair reconnected in Nashville and became Schmarks and Savvy. After getting signed at Round Hill Music Publishing, they started to grow and refine their skills. And after some grinding, the duo started getting placements with major artists like Blau, Zed's Dead, Jordan Sparks, and more. Today, we welcome Mark and Savannah on the podcast to discuss hard work and embracing your individuality on this episode of The Big Break. and savvy welcome to the show welcome to the big Yay. break how are thank you, you for having us we're good thank you for having us wow that's great thank you guys for joining us um so you so you know what we talk about on this show is how you know songwriters and producers and artists break into the music industry and how that happens because those are often the most fascinating untold stories and so where are you guys from maybe we start there Okay, I'll, I'll start with me, I guess. Yeah. I'm originally from Virginia. Okay. And Mark? And I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. Growing up, when did you decide or realize that you wanted to, to make music your profession, or at least give a go at it? I, I think both of us started playing really young, but as far as realizing that you could uh, do it as a job, I think came, (laughs) came a little later. Yeah. I I would say like, I didn't really have that realization that it could be uh, an actual career till probably like 11th grade in high school. Okay. Something like that. But till then, I mean, I was playing in bands and stuff like that. So it was kind of always a dream. What happened in 11th grade that shifted your perspective? You know, honestly, I guess I just saw an advertisement for Full Sail University. Really? Um, okay. I don't. I don't know if you're familiar with that school in mm-hmm. Orlando. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just at the time they only had like maybe six or seven majors to pick from, and one of them was like recording arts, which is audio engineering. It seemed really cool, and I kind of just looked more into it, and you know, connected. Yeah. The dots for connected you. the dots and yeah. went and visited the school, and pretty much as soon as I saw the the facilities and stuff, I was sold. So okay, okay. Yeah. And so then, Savvy, you you went to Berkeley. I did, yes. Yep. So, I mean, you, you had to kind of the same same time period in your life, right? You're like, I want to make a go of music. So you, you go to the college, the preeminent college of music yeah, in the United yeah. States. Um, so what, <laughs> you know, what were you thinking? What did you study there? Like, what was your focus? All that um, stuff. When I went there... I, I did the first couple of years just with the core classes, but then I got into the songwriting major. And I did that for about a year. Um, so I guess that's when I really decided that I I wanted to do songwriting full-time. You two are um, not only a songwriting and production duo, but you guys are also a couple. 
Right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Which, yeah, yep. Um, we're gonna have all. We're gonna have a lot of fun with that in a minute. But, <laughs> but so how? So, so how did you guys meet? Because I think that that's probably a, a a pretty interesting place to go from here. Like so. So what were sure. you guys doing when you met, and what happened? Um. So we met back in 2012. We actually were both in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Um, I was living there. I'd been there maybe like six or seven months, uh, moving from Pittsburgh. And Savvy was actually in town because she had a song being recorded with an Americana band um, from Austin, Texas, that she wrote. So the band kind of invited her to the studio in Nashville, which is where they're recording. And basically, long story short, we just had a mutual friend that actually went to Berkeley with Savvy. And I was kind of doing like production work for her while she was in Nashville. She kind of just introduced introduced us because she knew that we both did like pop music, which at the time Nashville yeah. had kind of a pretty small pop scene. So yeah. yeah, yeah, she decided that we should get to know each other, and as soon as we did, we um, the connection was like instant. When I went back to Austin, or I was living in Austin at the time. When I went back, we decided to stay in touch over email, and we ended up writing like. 20 songs, like postal service style. So, yeah, just, okay, yeah, yeah, just emailing ideas back and forth. And I mean, they weren't great. They, they were pretty bad, <laughs> but it was really fun. And uh, it was enough to make me decide that I really wanted to move to Nashville. And I did just a few short months later. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Mark. And we, we weren't a couple at the time, but we, we liked each other. So <laughs> that, <laughs> it, it there was chemistry for sure, but yeah. you know. Yeah, music okay. kind of came first. Oh wow! Okay, I'll, see that was that was my next question. I was like, so there was creative chemistry, but then, um, but I feel like with every great partnership and, and creative duo, there's there's always a little bit of that chemistry, no matter what. So, Savvy, since you were the one who moved, what was it about Mark and and working with him that was so uh, appealing to you? Um, I think it was the hair. He had really great hair. Um, I mean, he was okay with the songwriting, I mean, but the true. hair was a, a deal. It was the hair. Clincher for sure. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It, it, it was, we, we both really liked the same music and some, some people you just click with and going back and forth with ideas and, and being able to open up with someone can be hard. And with Mark, it was very, very easy. And yeah. It, it was it was really fun and um, refreshing. Yeah. And you could be you could be vulnerable around somebody creatively, and that's yeah. and that's that's half the that's battle, hard. right? It is. Yeah. So you guys are both now in Nashville full time. What were the conversations like between the two of you, Savvy? Were you like, I'm moving to Nashville to work with you, Mark, or were you more like, I'm going to come back to Nashville because the scene's good, or like what? I, th- I think I played it cool. You did play. That's what. That's really what I was trying she to get tried, at. She tried to, but no one, you know, no one. I, I knew what was going on. I knew what was happening. Like, I just okay. really like the city. I yeah. swear. Yeah, we it's were just great. like we were like, oh, we can write forty songs instead of twenty if you're actually living in the same city, and yeah. we were just kind of rolling with that idea. Yeah. Sure. Really, yeah. there was another agenda happening. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like just Mark, don't don't cut your hair until I get there at the very least. <laughs> 
It's got to be a conversation we both have. Yeah, this yeah. is not, it's not just your hair anymore. I don't realize it yet. But. You know, one thing I, I forgot to mention, like before she had moved, um, and I think this was like after we had written maybe like five, six, seven songs, um, we kind of just did like a video chat just to like maybe talk about a chorus or something. And then, you know, I never really asked her how old she was. <laughs> and I just assumed she was older than me. I, I don't know Which why. I just, every every girl just, loves to hear. Right. <laughs> I mean, so how much older? So wise. <laughs> she was just so wise and mature. So uh, I just figured yeah, she yeah, was yeah. older than me, yeah. living with three dudes in this house in Nashville. Basically, we found out that we had the exact same birthday, same year too. Wild. Yeah, well, but wild. but who? But I mean, it wasn't the exact same time. So was she older than you, or have we looked at the both times? Yeah, we got some information. I guess we found out you're like three and a half hours older, and that makes all the difference, man. Yeah. That makes so you, all. So you were right. <laughs> you were right, Mark. I was right the whole time. I know. I know. My hair doesn't lie. It doesn't yeah. lie. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, so you guys, so those, you're back in yeah. Nashville together. You realize, yes. oh, my God, we have the same birthday. We're creatively, j- like, jiving. He's cute. She's cute. Like, there's <laughs> there's all, there's this, there's this pot of, of emotions and feelings and creativity kind of getting filled. <laughs> what are you guys doing, though, aside from, from making music? I mean, were you, were you working uh, full-time day jobs or, like, how, how are you, like, surviving at this point? Okay, we were both still at the the grind zone. So yeah. I was I got a job waiting tables pretty quickly after I moved to Nashville. Okay. And um actually at that time I uh I think I was working at Warner Chapel. Okay. Um and I was like an IT guy at Warner Chapel. Nice. But okay. it was pretty it was sweet cuz it was uh Warner Chapel production music, so it was actually connected to a studio as well right on music row. Yep. And the reason why I really liked the job is they would let me basically use the studio after everyone left. So oh, it was, yeah. So, you know, I would be checking emails and doing customer service stuff during the day. And then as soon as six thirty came around, I'd just be behind the console, just messing around and working with an engineer that, um, really kind of mentored me and, uh, you know, show me the ropes when I was there and super grateful for that. So it was a pretty, it was a pretty cool setup, and that actually um, kind of helped Savvy and I because we could use the studio. So we did once we, you know, once she moved there, we started using the studio a lot to write, and that kind of just that ups the game a lot when you have the the environment, the fun environment, you know, yeah, grand yeah. pianos and sound booths. And it was just really cool. So yeah, um, and that's, and yeah. I, I suspect. Um, composers for film and tv aren't aren't the type that are like i want to be in the studio at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah. it's usually pretty it's, free it's, yeah. a different, <laughs> it's a different vibe it's definitely totally. Nash, nashville in general is like a nine to five kind of mm-hmm. place um i mean there's definitely people that work all through the night and stuff um and we're doing something like i was doing just grinding you know with the midnight oil but um yeah it's usually like 5 30 people go on with their lives and go home with their families and do other stuff other than just 20 hours a day of music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's you know? definitely more work-life balance in Nashville. Absolutely. Like it's very healthy. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're, so you're working at Warner Chapel, you're waiting tables. And then what, from there, the plan is to get a publishing deal to, to go release music as artists or like what, 
What, what were you guys thinking and, and what was the goal at that point for you, for you both? So our big goal was at this point we'd been together writing for a couple of years and we really wanted to get a publishing deal together. Um, okay. And they're really hard to get. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, That's unusual, yeah. right? It's usually like each of you have your own publishing deal and that's it. Yeah, and that's if, it, yeah. if you're lucky enough to land one, there there are a lot more writers than there are publishing deals. So yeah, that was definitely the goal. We just you know being in the environment in Nashville, you you kind of you see how how it works, and we knew that the publishing deal was kind of a way to break free of other things, so you can really just focus and do music. So that was kind of the goal for us, and I mean it took us four years yeah. of just writing together and. Writing, writing a lot and taking a lot of, of meetings and trying to woo publishers. And a, a lot of what you have to do is you meet a publisher and they say, well, yeah, I'll, I'll hook you up with one of our writers to feel out what you do. And so it's kind of a long dating process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a very long audition. And, and, yeah. you know, a lot of people said, oh, you'll never get a deal. And then a lot of people said, oh, you, you'll never both get a deal at the same time. It's impossible. And, you know, we just never took no for an answer. We just yeah. kept grinding until, I mean, the publishing company has to almost be like a family kind of too. It, it, it's a, it's a very like intimate and vulnerable situation and, and you just have to understand each other on different levels. So find the right one. yeah, you got to find the right one. And, and it, it took, it takes a long time. You can't, you don't want to just jump into something that is exciting, but might not be the best fit in the long run. Yeah. So you know, we were really fortunate to just after a couple of years of, of working on Music Row and stuff, we, we, we knew a lot of people and people would just kind of direct us to this next publisher that would say, oh, maybe they'll be interested. And then they'd be like, that's cool. Maybe you should talk to this publisher. And we just kind of went down this this path that finally took us to the right one that understood our vision as a duo and just loved what we did and didn't want to change what, we, what were we were. So they wanted to sign us for us. And that was awesome. Now, did you guys run into difficulties because you were so focused on pop at that point, or had Nashville shifted oh, yeah. sufficiently? Yeah. Or <laughs> well, there was there were difficulties, but a lot of uh, like internal struggles because you know we we wanted to be able to get that deal, and so we we would go back and forth thinking we should do pop all the time; it's what we love. And then a month later, we'd say, "Well, maybe we should try some country because everybody likes country." And that's what everyone wants us to do. And Yep. You know, yeah. and lots of lots of internal battles. It would always come back to us wanting to just stick with pop because that's what we love to do. We uh I mean, I feel like the most common answer we would get from publishers is like, "Oh my gosh, we I love this. Like I this I've never heard anything like this before, but I have no idea what to do with it." <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yep. Have a good and day. And we we heard that like dozens of times and you're just like kind of like excited cuz they dig it and they've like, "Oh, I've never heard this before," but also like sort of frustrated like, "Uh, I'm hitting a wall." <laughs> yeah, the, the uh man, I I admire this aesthetically, but I I can't <laughs> uh, my my day job does not allow me to to do anything with this, right? Cuz that's yeah. where, that's where they were. Um what no, so so then for for you guys and, and sort of your your grind and you're taking these meetings, like can you describe and this is gonna sound like a really dumb question, but could you describe what like say pretend for a second I'm a songwriter and I'm I'm where you guys were in twenty twelve. 
and I've never taken a meeting with a publisher. Because it sounds like you guys went to a lot of meetings and have a lot of, but what are they like? Like what happens oh, in those meetings? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you, uh, everyone I mean, is different. I was going to say, they're all different. Say. Just like every, you know, every concert's going to be different. So it's just like, it's a lot of like kind of reading the room and catching the dynamics of the people you're, you know, talking with. And I guess the biggest struggle is just to remember to be yourself. Cause that's, that's why you're there and that's what makes it special. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, but sometimes you would uh, walk in and you would be in a conversation for 45 minutes before you even really got down to talking music. And then other times sure, you walk yeah. in and the person is very cut and dry and he says, show me some of your stuff. And it's, it's audition process feeling. And it's, so. <laughs> and those, those ones are weird, you know, like you're showing them stuff and they're not even like looking at you. You can tell they're looking at their phone or they're checking an email <laughs> oh. and they're sort of just listening in the background. And sometimes, you know, they have crappy sound systems and you're like, how are you a publisher and your speakers suck? Like it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't make sense. And you're just kind of sitting there awkwardly, like, you know, bobbing along to the song you've listened to a thousand times already to make sure it's perfect. And and then realizing um, as you're playing it in the, in front of new people, the filter is off and you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be showing this song. This, this one's not the best. Yeah. yeah. Um, everyone was different. and It's a vulnerable thing, yeah. but, you know, a lot of meetings, people do get excited sometimes. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll listen to four or five songs, typically, if they have the time. And, you know, they're all, you know, hopefully like one or two of them really stick out to them and just resonates. And they're just like, oh, this is awesome. This reminds me of this artist that's uh, on our roster. I would love to connect you guys because I think if you did something like this with with uh, with them singing it, it would be really cool. And you know, fruitful things like that come out of them. It was really mostly the connections. I think when we first started taking them, we were both hoping to walk in and just <laughs> wow them and have them say, "You know what? I love this. Let's sign you tomorrow." And yeah. that just does not happen. No. <laughs> yeah. No. After two or three meetings, you realize that's probably not how it's going to go. Yeah. And I, yeah. it's funny because I've heard, like, having done this podcast for a little while, I've heard, like, the, the gamut from, like, you guys mm -hmm. grinding at it for years to uh, the woman who wrote uh, Don't Stop the Music for Rihanna, like, wrote that song, like, basically wrote a part of that song, sent it to a publisher. 10 days later she was signed and 10 days after oh, that wow. she was in the studio like yeah doing, so and, we, and, we hate hearing those stories that's yeah. awesome <laughs> it, I, I mean I, that's some stars aligned action right that's there incredible. Yes. really like, awesome good on her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean I, I was just sitting there going uh are you serious did this is that actually that sounds insane i mean it, it happens I, I think if you had like if you were unpublished and then you somehow wrote a song that became a hit then it's like you have that leverage and people you're going to get a ton of offers and you, you might get like a, a bidding war going on. And that's it's kind of like a lot of goals for a goal for a lot of people is because that's why you get the best deal and stuff. And yeah. it's just very hard to do that. You know, it's, 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 it's lightning in a bottle. And if you, if yeah. you happen to catch it, you better recognize it. You better run with it. Right. Yeah. And have a team that's going to support you because people will, you know, We'll eat They're, you alive. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, and that's, yeah, that's the reality of it. So if you had to go back in time and, and give yourselves advice before you went into your first publishing meeting, 
would what would you tell yourself? I think what he said about remembering to always be yourself is so huge because no, when you're up against well, well, you yeah. yeah, in life, just in general. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, I guess yeah. I mean it's it's because like a lot of especially in Nashville, it sometimes is like a a corporate environment. I mean, it's late, it's laid back, but you can tell it's still very professional, and and it's like you can't. I, I don't know. You almost feel like you can't say what you really want to say, sort of, because you're going to hurt people's feelings or something. So, but the minute that you forget that and just be yourself you connect more because you realize everyone's human so i feel like not being nervous to be yourself and express your your uniqueness yeah because really when you're up against so many other songwriters there's only one thing that you have that they don't and it's your voice no one can ever be exactly like you and that is your ultimate asset and for some reason when you're sitting in a room you can forget that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I would also say just be patient and yeah. um, by being yourself, you'll find the right person who's going to help you. It's, and it's, you might not see it at the moment, how it's helping you, but when you zoom out later, you're going to, you're, you'll see that connection and realize, ah, that I needed to meet that person. So they would introduce me to this person, which ultimately got me where I needed to go. Yeah, and, and if and if you weren't yourself and they still tried to do something for you, they might have kind of set you on a like a different path that you didn't really want to go down. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um for us it would have been like if we went in there and, and showed them five country songs we wrote. I don't know if that's what they would have liked from us, but the fact that you know, that we showed them pop stuff, even though they might not have been able to do anything with it, they respected us more almost. Because yeah. we went on a limb and just showed them what we really love to do. And yeah. that's We're all you pandering. can really try. Yeah, that's really all you can try to do. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Oh, during this, during the years that you guys were, were grinding, like, what did you do to get better at your craft? I mean, like, did, was there anyone that, that helped you guys shape your sound? Or, like, what, like, how did well, you the, keep getting better? Well, well Savvy, um, you should you should tell them like how you got the um, like a publishing deal sort of in Austin. Oh, that was and, huge for me. Yeah, and that's kind of and that was like your first big opportunity, and how they kind of like you know showed you the ropes. Yeah, I, I worked for a, a boutique publisher in Austin, but it was it was very much a developmental situation. I was learning a lot about songwriting itself, but also about the business of songwriting, which is almost just as important, maybe more so. So that helped, but also the 10,000 hours <laughs> helps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just, it is kind of like just putting your head down and, and, and obsessing over studying other songs and I, figuring yeah. out how they tick. I was going to say, just we would just constantly try to learn, you know, especially like on the music production side, it's like, with YouTube and the, and all these online tools, it's like, you can just, you can really learn a lot, um, just by doing research and then applying something practically in your own track and then realizing you really connect the dots that way. So I kind of just was reading books about production. I was watching tutorials. I was 
following people that I really admired, like, you know, A-list producers and stuff, and just kind of would try to see as much that they were showing on the internet of like how they were in the studio. And um, that's, you know, those are all things you can do by yourself. I guess my situation when I was uh, just being in Nashville, I was around a lot of great, talented engineers, producers, musicians. And I was just kind of like a sponge, just trying to soak up everything I could and wait for an opportunity of, oh, can you go get me a coffee? And I'd be like, absolutely. And I'd run out and I'd go get a coffee just so I could stay in the studio while they were tracking horns or something, you know. It's really just building those relationships with those people. Like, once again, if you're yourself and you're just trying to be helpful, those people want to help you out. And And as far as the craft goes, I I think being in Nashville helped a lot because they really push on you how important it is to co-write. And every time that you write with someone else, it doesn't matter where they are as a writer, you're going to learn something from them. And just the more that you're with other people, the better off you're going to be. It's more heads are better than one. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's huge. I don't even remember that, but that's probably number one. It was before Nashville, I, you know, I was in band, so I would write with the band, but I would mostly write alone. And I think Savvy was very similar. But you go to Nashville and you realize that co-writing is the bread and butter. That's how you write these great songs is to collaborate with multiple minds. So just forcing ourselves to write with different people and not just Savvy and I too. And that really, I would say that like fast tracked us to just constantly get better because, you know, you always learn. Yeah. You're just learning from each other. Yeah. Building relationships. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. So, so then after this struggle and, and all the meetings, you guys meet with Roundhill and mm-hmm. it's, it's love at first sight or is it, was it a long process or like, how did that play out? It, uh, it actually really was love at first sight, um, <laughs> which it was amazing. I mean, this was year four of trying to find a publishing deal and probably meeting like 30 or 40, like okay. easily. So at this point, I had a good sense of like within the first five minutes, if this was going to be a good meeting or not at that point. Okay. And Roundhill was just um, specifically, it was Mark Brown, who I think is vice president of Roundhill. And he just was so receptive to everything we were doing and just open-minded and asked to listen to every single song. And when we got through like what I brought him, he was like, play me more right now. (laughs) <laughs> you pull up your phone and go in your email and send me. He's like, let me hear everything you've done. And that had never happened before. Yeah. With a meeting, you know, time is money. So a lot of people just, you know, they give them their time and then they move you on. But he like, like took me around the, like the, um, the offices and introduced me to everybody. And I mean, I was just like, this has never happened before. This feels special. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was really cool. But then from that moment on, though, yeah, it was yeah. it was probably a whole year before we got it, an offer. Even yeah, it was like it, right it was under still a year. A process. Wow. From that from that yeah. moment before they were like, we can actually sign you guys now. So yeah. so what, what, so was it? What were they still trying to come up with? Make a creative decision on whether or not to do it, or was it lawyers or what? Um, a big, it was a big part of it. the The company yeah. at that point hadn't been. Um, taking on 
it was less creative. They more had catalogs of yeah. songs that they were working with and they hadn't really gotten into bringing on writers. So I think that it was the Nashville office talking to the New York office saying, we really want to do this. Can we have the, um, can we get the go ahead? And that just took a while. Yeah, it was, it was a company thing. It's like yeah. they weren't, they were really just acquiring large catalogs and <laughs> other companies. Mm-hmm. And then they would acquire the writers that were still in the company they just got. But we were, I guess we were the first ones that they yeah. officially brought on. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. developmental writers first deal kind of thing. We yeah. were the first people that around till it, the Nashville office ever signed. Yeah. Whoa. Which is pretty sweet. That's, that's, <laughs> cool. Yeah, because I mean, I was going to ask you, how how else was the experience different with, with them? Because like their whole, like, and you guys know it, and just for everyone out there, like Round Hill is basically... Uh, started as a private equity fund that basically acquired catalog and publishing companies and that now has built out the internal skill and expertise in signing new writers and, and are now just like a publishing company, a big one, right? Um, how was it different, like the experience with them, say, compared to a Warner, Universal, Sony, you know, like the traditional major publishers, like... Was there anything else different about that experience with them? I mean, yeah, I mean, just right there, I mean, that it's like there was probably at that time, I think in Nashville, they had six or seven employees. So, you know, one of those major publishing companies has hundreds of people. Yeah. And you really try to maybe connect with a couple of them and you just hope that they're going to have your back through. They'll be a champion. Yeah, they'll be a champion for you. And, um, we really felt like that's what was happening in Nashville. It was kind of like we had all five or six of the employees really into what we did and they supported us. So And all trying to learn as we went, I think. <laughs> yeah, I guess they were sort of learning yeah. too and, um, you know, almost wanted to use us as like guinea pigs kind of <laughs> yeah. in this thing of like, okay, we're going we're gonna to start being creative and signing writers um, and see how it goes. So they kind of – you know, really we're frontiering that for the company in the Nashville offices. And it was just, once again, it was just like very special to have someone believe in us that much, yeah. you know? And, um, and to tell you the yeah. truth, we hadn't had any experience at other publishers. So we really didn't know that there was a difference. There, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it was the only thing that we knew. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. So we were just like, oh, it must be normal to, to wait a year to get the contract and things <laughs> like that. You know, we were just like, kind of like, you know, um, just waiting patiently. But, you know, in that year, they were like continually like just being supportive and throwing us into songwriter camps that Roundtable was sponsoring. Uh-huh. Um, okay. And, you know, setting us up with rights. They were basically treating us like we were already signed. Uh, and that was, yeah, that's what kind of made it special in a way, too. As a growing artist or songwriter, keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid. It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties that were getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy to understand analysis 
with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview. And they they had bought into the pop vision, they were on board with that, and it was for both of you. The deal that everyone told you you would never get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was special. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So yeah. so then you spend all this time building up all these relationships in Nashville. You got signed with Roundhill and then you moved to LA. Yeah, it was, it was pretty soon after. <laughs> was it Yeah. Was that part of the plan when you signed with Roundhill? Were they suggesting it? Were you guys thinking it? Or how did, because that's a big move, right? Yeah, I, I think at that point, it, it it took a couple of months and we realized that we were sending all of all of the songs that we wrote, we were sending to our point person out in LA. And we had taken a, a trip and just the writing out there felt much more our vibe and I don't know. We having the deal gave us the means to get the there. The means to get there. Um, yeah. And it we just it yeah, basically what she just said, we were just sending all our stuff to LA anyway. And like with the pop stuff and also most of the film and TV stuff was all going to Los Angeles. So we would do trips like, you know, two weeks in LA and then come back to Nashville. Mm-hmm. And the person at round till that was, um, in LA, Patrick Conseil was like, you guys should flip that. You should be in LA and then go to Nashville for a couple of weeks. And that's how you should be doing this. The opportunities for what you guys want to do. There's just more of them in LA at the moment. Um, and it really made sense for us. And as soon as that thought entered our heads, it was kind of game over. <laughs> Yeah, or game on, really. Game, yeah, game on. was like, yeah, yeah. let's yeah. let's figure out how to logistically and push everything aside and, and make it happen. And I think we decided um, we decided to move, and then we were out there about a month and a half later. So it was very quick. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, Roundhill and Nashville was very supportive. Like once we kind of told them what was going on, they yeah, they were on board and said that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and gave us their blessing, sort of. That's great. Man, you guys, that, that's fantastic with them. Because like, they, they spend a lot of time getting buy-in to sign you guys. And then you're like, okay, we're in, but we're going to L.A. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah. But, but it was, yeah. I think it was the right move. Yeah. So so then how did you, um, did you have by that point enough people that you knew in L.A. to really dive in? Or did you have to start again to really rebuild the network with Roundhill's help. How did that, how did that play out? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. I mean, the funny thing about it was our first write 
in LA was with an artist we work with in Nashville all the time. <laughs> and she was actually in LA for a week and she's like, Hey, let's write. And we're like, Oh, we live here now. And it was just, it was kind of funny. That was our first write with someone from Nashville. Yeah. We did have to meet a lot of new people, but that, that point person that was out here at round Hill. Um, I mean, he was, he was like a lifeline. We became really very close to him and he kind of helped us build our network pretty quickly. Yeah, he was able to book us a lot of sessions. Introduce us to people and take us around and get that whole thing going. Yeah, so, yeah, they really helped us build the network. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, that's one of the huge value adds of music publishers, right? Get you Mm -hmm. plugged in and get you writing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so then you guys are in L.A. Um, You're in the sort of the beating heart of pop music. And, um, and with Rondo, what was the first song that you guys got got cut and released? Oh, the gosh. first, the first one, or or the first one that you remember, which perhaps we can call. <laughs> we, well, we we had some independent releases, but I guess the I'm trying to think. I mean, a couple of the things we did early on actually got onto like TV shows that are on That's Netflix true. and stuff. Okay, so that, was, um, that was one. So of things. yeah, those were that was really cool. I would say the first we had two come out back to back, two Fridays in a row, and they were both with the same artist, and the other one was with a big DJ as well. And so it, it was a uh, Carly Page Drive Slow, the first one, and then the next week um, a DJ called Blau had a song called touch and it it did really well and carly was also on the vocals on that one and she was a connection we made in la those two songs were probably like the eighth and ninth song we wrote with her so we had written a couple before those but yeah those were like the first two that you know made new music friday on spotify and the one with the dj blau actually charted on billboard and went to number one on itunes yeah those were like the first two big releases i guess how awesome was it to see that thing chart oh, on billboard? So cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was so cool. It's such a rush. I don't it's think crazy. anything like that would ever get old. <laughs> yeah. 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 So so now the the other the other question I have um, mostly out of personal interest to be totally frank is mm-hmm. so you're writing these songs with you know with the artists with Blau and, and others and then how like were they I guess were they singles or how did like, how did the, you write the song, collaborate, everybody loves it. But then I've heard so many stories where it's like, we wrote the song, artists loved it, everybody loved it. And then it turns out to not get out on the album Ugh, or not released. Really sure. Yeah. Heartbreaking. Yeah. You get a song on hold and you hope it's going to go to the finish line and you know, it doesn't always go there, but. Yeah. So the, um, the way yeah. that touch happened, we were actually, I guess we wrote that one at our home studio with Carly and another writer, Richard Walters. And we thought it was really special. We sent it to our publisher. Um, yeah, we had, and we pretty much had written that for Carly's artist project. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of produced the demo up for it. And then, um, yeah, we just, you know, you just sent it to our publisher. And then actually I think it was Carly's publisher at the time. Um, had a connection to to Blau to basically Blau. and his team and he was finishing his full length album 
but he was still looking for the single. Mm -hmm. So he was just kind of accepting songs and seeing what he vibed with. And I guess as soon as he heard touch and the demo, he, he just, he had a vision and really loved it and wanted to work on it. And it was kind of amazing. He, um, he told us afterwards that he had had this idea sort of started. And, um, as soon as he heard the song, he, thought, oh my gosh. And he, he pulled up that track. And part of what he had done was the same melody that Carly was singing in our version. So it was a really weird Whoa. Uh, coincidence. Yeah. And so he, <laughs> he took what we had written and really he did his own thing to it and, and moved things around and kind of made the song his own. And the final product it sounds different than our version. It yeah, it's, very it's, loud. it's it's different, but he made it what it is today, and it's and yeah, it's and amazing. We, we um, love it. It's just that little thing. It was cool, like his little melody chop that he had worked perfectly with our song before he had even heard it. Yeah, it was really so cool. it, that's kind of a magical moment that he knew it was like, all right, this is this is the right one. And that one actually was a pretty quick timeline, wasn't it? From when we turned it in to when he actually had his version. Which yeah. Which doesn't always happen either. Yeah. That, it was a few months. It was very rare. It was yeah. like we wrote it in October and then it came out in February. So That's fast. It was yeah. it was really quick. Yeah. And that, that doesn't really happen very often. You know, sometimes it does and it's amazing. But, um, but he's such a hustler and he's also kind of got his own independent label. So he doesn't have to go through a lot of the red tape as – um as some of the artists on major labels yeah. so he could kind of make the timeline what he wanted it to be yeah and, it, yeah. and it, he needed i guess he just needed one more song to finish his project to complement it and yeah. it just really worked out the drive slow song i think it was kind of similar i think we had written it in april and it came out in october so it was a couple more months but it's still actually pretty quick yeah. Or February. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. We had written in April and came out February. So actually, that's pretty normal. <laughs> yeah, that, I was like, <laughs> about a year. Yeah, like ten months. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. The funniest stories are like, I wrote that song ten years ago, and someone finally recorded it, and now I'm making a fortune. <laughs> oh my gosh! I hope no one hears the songs I wrote ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Those are under lock and key. Yeah, those. Just throw yeah. away the key. Um, yeah, throw, throw this out. <laughs> so, so then this, the Blau song comes out, Carly song comes out. There's momentum building in, in what you guys are doing. Did anything change between the two of you, or between you and your publisher of the outside world? Like, how, like, what perspective shift happened after? Because, like, I, I maybe maybe I'm just hypothesizing here, but. This now was was proof that everything that you had been working on for years turned out to you could do it and you could make it happen. And you know, I think you know you believe in it, but sometimes it's nice to have that external proof. So what did sure. you guys do next to to keep the momentum going? It's funny. I mean, I don't really think much changed. Okay. It really, it really didn't. It's, we did feel extreme validation. From yeah, that, though. it was ex- it was very cool. Yeah, it's like it's exciting. So I guess you you kind of get fueled off of the excitement, um, and the confidence. You know what I mean? It, you got to kind of enter a room that you're going to write a song and feel confident in what you do. So um, it's like you were just saying. I mean, the eventually the willpower kind of can, you know, get tired basically. So 
finally, when you get like some validation, it just picks you back up sometimes. Um, so, but you know, we didn't really change. I don't think we did anything <laughs> different. We just maybe hustled more. We were just like, Oh, let's try that again. Let's, let's try to hit that again. And, it's and, funny. You'd think that that would last you, but I think it was out a month that we were like, okay, okay. What's next? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the music industry. Yeah. It's like, what's next? What's next? You know, I think um, from a logistics <laughs> point of view though, after having something like that happen, it was a lot easier for our publisher to get us co-writes with um, more established writers just because they saw that we had had this thing. Yeah. That definitely helps. I mean, just having that like on your resume kind of um, can get you in better rooms or working with bigger artists. Um, So that was huge. Yeah. So it kind of just fuels the pot. You, you know, you're, you're getting validation from the song doing well, and then you're getting in, in rooms with really talented people. And it kind of just stirs this thing that, you hope to just propel forward basically. And, um, but yeah, I mean, other, I mean, not much really changed. You just, you just kind of keep grinding, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. um, and doing what you love hopefully. So, (laughs) so, so then you guys, uh, now you guys are no longer with round Hill, right? You guys have a new publishing deal or situation. How did that happen? What, What did you guys did angry mob, pursue you guys or what, what what happened there it's it's funny that they just made it official like two days ago so it's perfect timing oh beautiful okay good. <laughs> well we were out of our deal with round hill i guess last september september and the way that things work every song that we had written up until that point belonged to round hill yeah. so when we were faced with this new situation of wanting to shop ourselves to other places we had no songs to offer <laughs> we, had no ca- we really had no catalog had it was like starting over again yeah yeah you know fourth quarter last year i guess we just were like you know what let's just put our heads down and write as many songs in the next four months as possible to just kind of rebuild this catalog so we have something to pitch or sell to another music publisher or whatever and and in the meantime our um the guy that we had been working so closely with at round hill um left round hill and became our manager so ah, he, while we were writing all of these songs was he was huge yeah yeah he was looking everywhere for he, a place that would be the right fit for us yeah he was a lifeline it was it was kind of like even though we um left round hill and our publisher it wasn't like we were left alone we had our manager to really help us um yeah which came out of the deal through round Hill. So it was kind of a cool transitional thing. Um, but you know, his help you was, say it's a cool transitional <laughs> thing. It wasn't a very cool transitional I mean, thing at the moment. <laughs> what, what was it really? What was it really? Yeah. Oh, Looking back, it was cool, but yes, yeah. it was very scary. And yeah. Well, you know, stressful. it was scary. We, we did feel a sense of, freedom i guess we, we we kept calling it freedom we're so free um but you know you have to pay rent and los angeles the rent is hot yeah, yeah it's not cheap it's not yeah not cheap, no. yeah so it was a little um, it was freeing because at, at the end of our deal with round hill i think both ends realized that we had done as much with each other as we possibly could and it was a good time to part so in that way, we felt like, you know, this is the new chapter of the story. We can really 
focus in on doing whatever we want, but at the same time, we had that ticking clock in the background. It was like, what, what next? Yeah, what do Very we do? Much. Even though it is yeah. the new chapter and it's exciting. But yeah. So what, what were you guys looking for that you wouldn't have gotten from Roundhill if you guys did another deal with them? What, what was the, the... I guess, you know, the, the biggest thing is they never really got too established in Los Angeles. That's true. Um, well, they did with film and TV. They sort of did a shift in the middle of our deal where they they realized how difficult it was to make music or make money through pop. And they kind of went back to their roots of wanting to do more film and TV because the money there is just a little more no consistent. <laughs> yeah. Consistent. So yeah. they sort of pivoted from being like, oh, we're going to get more creative and, and sign writers and, and build this this like grassroots publishing company with, with new writers, they pivoted. And when they kind of did that, we kind of felt that and, and just felt like, Oh, we don't really have anyone that's pitching our songs or, or doing anything in our genre. So. And at the same time, we, we weren't giving them what they needed for the film and TV. So it, it just, we, we loved everyone there so much, but it started not making very much sense. Yeah, as a, as a business, it really yeah. didn't. And, and we would have to go to Nashville to have a meeting, like face-to-face with anyone. So um, we kind of were just looking for a company based out of L.A. that we could go and hang out with people there and, and um, you know, kind of have a more. And write the stuff yeah. that we really wanted to write, too. That, that's always been the number one. <laughs> yeah. No, I yeah. mean, that, that makes sense. Especially, like, you know, in that, that mid – mid-deal shift in corporate strategy is a killer yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah it happens with a&r people leaving the company for the artists all the time Mm -hmm. like the a&r person that signed you is now gone and now your project's half done and you have no one pushing for it it's just it happens a lot mark it sounds like you put a a a nice uh sheen on it after the fact but that (laughs) that sounds terrifying to me (laughs) We try to we try to stay positive. You guys are this cool. Life. You guys are cool. Uh, thanks, man. Uh, uh, thanks. But so now, so now the 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 guy from Round Hill, who's in LA, who became your manager, did that just happen organically, or were you guys looking for management? Did you interview ten people, and he was one of the ten, or how did that how did that happen? It was super organic. Um, you know, one thing that's a big difference from Nashville and LA is in Nashville, a lot of songwriters don't have management. Yeah. Their, their publisher kind of wears all the hats and Mm. will do a lot of the duties a manager will do in LA. It's not, that's, it's kind of flipped. It's sort of like the, the manager does wears most of the hats and is really pushing for the songwriter. Um, so when we got out here, we kind of caught that, it caught wind of that. And we're just like, Oh, maybe we should get a manager or, you know, that'd be really cool. It'd be helpful. And we never really pursued looking for one, though. It was kind of like, well, we have a publisher. We're doing our thing. If one comes along and make, seems like a good fit, we'll, we'll try it out. And it sort of worked out with our manager, Patrick, now, who was at Roundtill. So he was already super familiar with our work. Familiar and, and very invested because he, yeah. he'd been working with us so closely for three About three point, years three at years, that point. Yeah. Um, and, and so when, at that point, yeah. it was just like, we, we don't want to quit what we've already got going. And so we just kind of. He, yeah. When the, he, when he left Roundtill, he just was just like, I really believe in you guys and I don't want to stop working with you. 
So let me be your manager. <laughs> and it was like the, one of the coolest moments I think we had oh, ever yeah. had. Cause it just, it came to us like when we needed it most and we weren't, you know, going on Craigslist looking for managers or searching <laughs> for people or taking interviews. Yeah. It we, just, it we just came when we needed it. And yeah. it was a, it was a really awesome special moment. And he's our manager today. Yeah. That's still, that's awesome. What, now what, what advice would you guys give to uh, a songwriter in LA who's trying to figure out, okay, should I get a manager one? If I get a manager, what should the manager do? What should I do? What should my publisher do? And what, what kind of advice do you guys have around that as you've worked with Patrick and, and that has evolved. I think what makes our situation with Patrick so great is that he, he really does feel like family. So I, I think number one, you've got to really love the person yeah. <laughs> and, and feel like you can trust them a hundred percent. They're not yeah. every manager is, um, has your best interest. Oh, yes. or every, not every person has your best interest. Yeah. Like you're going to talk to this person like four or five times every single day. So you just want to make sure that you're cool with that person. And, and you, you know, you don't mind picking up their phone call and talking to them for two minutes, 10 times a day. So personality is huge, but also, um, I think finding someone who believes in you enough that they'll put in, those extra hours is huge and having the connections to do so is also huge. It's big. And, and, and then also just they, the manager really needs to understand your vision and what you guys, what you want as an artist, writer, producer, whatever, like what you really trying to accomplish and you have to all be on the same page. And ultimately the manager is working for you. You're not working for the manager. So you want someone who kind of understands where you want to go and to really help facilitate that. And that's, that can be a struggle to find that right person. It's not going to change. Yeah. It's worth waiting to find the right person. (laughs) It's it's similar, like a publisher actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, for sure. And uh, so I would just say, you know, you just want to find someone who feels like a family member, best friend who you get along with. And doesn't want to change you, but really just thinks what you do is awesome and can, and can help you do that more. And someone who's not afraid to say like, yo, that song sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely don't, don't release that one. That one's terrible. Don't, you know, that's that's like number one. That's huge. Yeah. Like you need someone that you can do that with just, you know, and that's, that's huge. It's like, hey guys, what's your second best song that you've got for me to listen to? <laughs> yeah, I like this one, yeah. but uh, keep trying. Yeah. What? Yeah. So, what did you what did you tell him when you said when you were trying to to get him to understand where you two wanted to go and what your vision was? What? What? So maybe what is your vision for where you guys are going? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, the vision, I mean, with Patrick, our manager specifically, it re- it truly was organic because he kind of... He already knew us so well. He was our publisher for two and a half, three years. So he kind of... He grew with us and kind of saw where we were heading. Yeah, he, he saw us growing and knew the direction we were heading. So he kind of already knew. It was like subconscious for him. It was amazing. Um, I, I think as far as our personal yeah. vision, um, we just in the past year have started releasing stuff with our, as our own 
artist project. So that that has kind of shifted where our priorities are. We want to do that and do that well. Um, yeah, and and that's also sort of an organic thing. Like the songs that we're releasing are songs that we just love. That maybe you know, might not work for another artist or something, but they're still so cool that we're like, you know what, let's go out on a limb and put this out ourselves and see if it resonates with people. So, um, that's kind of been like the motivator and, and the vision is just, we're just working on so many different artist projects right now. And we're loving all of the music and the people we're collaborating with. Um, so we kind of just keeping that going and that's been amazing. And then we're, uh, kind of DJing a little bit and we're starting to play some shows Ooh, and, um, okay. you know, yeah. and that's just super fun. Kind of just like a little side hustle and a way to like play music that we like basically, but also put your own music in, put your friend's music into the set. It's a, it's a really cool community experience. And, um, that's, you know, that's kind of what we're, we have broad vision, but a lot of things make us, make us excited. I, I think, one of the things that we get the most fulfillment out of is working with young artists that are coming up and, and trying to help them figure out their sound. And you just hope that you can keep working with those artists and eventually something will pop off with them. And it's, it, you rise up together, rise up together and, and just really love the process of, of helping that artist. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so fulfilling when you like, when you just help an artist truly find their uniqueness and their voice and, you know, it just, it bounces back and forth. It's just, it's probably one of the coolest feelings and the coolest things we do is when we mm-hmm. kind of like can help steer a new artist into the direction they've always wanted to go. Um, help yeah. them yeah. realize their vision. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so now you guys, so the, you guys are releasing music as artists now. Um, I think you guys what have 15,000 monthly listeners on this side project that, that you guys yeah. are. So yeah, congratulations on that. Our... Thanks, man. It just Thank hit 17,000, which is cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's going up. It's going yeah. up it's slowly, pretty, surely. It's cool. We, uh, we released a song, Somebody Real, about a month ago. And I think a month ago we had... 400 listeners. Yeah. yeah. No, I remember I remember when we first started talking. I was like, brother, they have about 400 monthly yeah. listeners. And then I went back and checked a couple of days ago. And I was like, holy shit. Man, it's been, <laughs> it's been so exciting. And uh, yeah, I, I like when people like what we do. Yeah. It doesn't always happen. No. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's wild. And like, we kind of, we kind of like tried to go a lane that we really love that might not have been exactly what we're told to do or something like we just wanted to do like house music. We just have fallen in love with house music in the past couple of years. And yeah, it's, it's been going really well. Yeah. We just wanted to release a song ourselves that was like in that world. So it, people are resonating with it. It's, it's almost got 60,000 streams and you know, yeah, it's, it's doing its thing. Yeah. It's growing legs. That's, no, that's great. I mean, what make Mark? What makes you think that it, that it wasn't in your lane, or wasn't something that, like that 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 you couldn't do this through writing it for somebody else? I mean, I guess it's not like, I guess we kind of always done like EDM pop sort of stuff, but you know, it's just kind of 
if you look at the trends of stuff going on and you realize like all the tempos are a lot slower and we're in like more of a hip hop trap kind of world and you're like, huh, like I love that stuff. That's dope. I should maybe do some of that stuff too. And you're just like, I want to speed it up like 30 BPMs and I want it to just be like super high intense, fast paced. And Something you would want to put on at a party. <laughs> yeah. Like a dance party. Yeah. And we just thought it was a little bit, it was just a little bit different than, I guess with a lot of the art, different than a lot of the artists that we work with and just, you know, wanted to kind of find our own spot. Yeah. Um, and well, it's a, it's a hell of a lot easier to do something subversive or against the fashion when you control it, own it and don't have to ask anyone's permission to put it out there. hundred percent. Absolutely. I, I think that's kind of what pushed us to wanting to do it in the first place, wanting to have the timeline we wanted and, the cover art we wanted and then, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's like you were saying earlier, have all the power because we're control freaks. And a, <laughs> yeah. Like a song with another artist will, will get recorded, get on their album and then it comes out and you find out that they pulled it and they didn't put it on their album. Yeah. And you're just, after a bunch of those, you're just like, you know what? Screw it. Let's put our own stuff out because we love this and we can control how it sounds and what it looks like and when it comes out, how fast it can come out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, have you guys had any success? Like, because I think that what what you're talking about just there, the sort of the lack of agency that songwriters have when it comes to you write the song, you record it, it doesn't get on the album. Have you guys had any luck or any tips for people on how to navigate the politicking and everything else to get a song on an album? Gosh, it's it's so hard these days, especially. Um, and it's different every time. Yeah. It's, it's, I wish there was a path you would, and a protocol you just follow. And then if the song's great, then it, it gets a shot. But the truth is, I mean, there's a hundred great songs. Only one of those will, will become a hit or get hurt. It's just kind of the reality. So mostly um, <laughs> the luck that we've had is just actually being in the room and writing it with the artists themselves because they're they're a part of the song and then they they feel something for it um yeah I and think i that's I, it so it's say relationships like you know it's just putting yourself out there and and having the material and things ready so when the opportunity comes in front of you you actually can deliver it you know but you kind of have to put yourself in a position to be open for those opportunities so it's just kind of like meeting people and and uh, I hate to say the word networking, but it's true. It's like, you just, you got to network sincere relationships, like where it's not just, what do you, what can you do for me? It's like, Hey, nice to meet you. What can I do to help you? And then when you finally, you know, have something that might be up their alley, you can, you've built that relationship and it's more comfortable to send them a song. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of times, you know, they'll listen to it and go, this is cool, but you know, not right for this project, but keep sending me stuff keeps sending me stuff. Yeah. And you just, you gotta be, you know, persistent. The more of a relationship you have with that person, the better ears they're going to listen with. I think. <laughs> yes. Me. I think that's, yeah. that's very wise. It's yeah, for sure. But I, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, with the internet, it's a new game, but you know, being in Nashville, you can go to like 10 different events every night that's going to have a lot of industry people and, and you can just hang out with them, get to know them as people. And that's kind of what it, where it starts, I guess. 
and we're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah we don't, it's all a work this in progress. Just one suge- yeah. Yeah. This is theoretical. One suggestion, because once again, I mean, you could put a song up on the internet and it could go viral and that's all it takes. I, you just, you just yeah. never know. You never really know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you go, I wasn't doing anything, now I have Old Town Road. Right. Oh my gosh! Yes, it's yeah. wild. It's yeah, and awesome, but wild. Yeah, yeah. What what is what is the kindest thing someone has done for you so far in your career? Oh, that is so tough because I feel like both of us we definitely couldn't be where we are today without the help of so many people. <laughs> Absolutely, um, that's the the kindest thing is. Or it could be in life, even. I'm, I'm always curious about this. This thing. Well, I know we both have had mentors that have been extremely um, helpful in, in believing in you and and pushing you in the right direction. Um, Who were they? I want to name names. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I, I. One of mine was actually my business of songwriting professor at Berkeley. His name was John Aldridge. And he, um, yeah, for, for some reason, he just took a liking to me and made me feel special and kept in touch with me over the years and kind of, you know, the ups and downs in this are crazy. So to have somebody who will always bolster you and remind you what you want to do and who you are is huge. He, he was a big one. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, I've had a few mentors as well. And the one that really kind of propelled me was, um, a songwriter named Brett James from Nashville. Oh yeah. He's a yeah, big time hit songwriter. Um, he's got a, a tons of country number ones and he's actually got a lot of pop songs too. Um, and you know, my story with him is just crazy. I decided to book First off, I decided to quit my job at Warner Chapel, go full-time freelance engineer, writer, producer. And I was like, I don't even know what to do. I'm just going to go for it. And I booked a trip to LA to go to the ASCAP Expo. I had never been to LA before. And I was like, I just want to go. I'm going by myself. This is going to be a great event. I'm going to learn a lot, meet a lot of cool people. Did the whole thing. I'm actually flying back to Nashville and Brett James is getting on my airplane. Nice. And I'm like, and he was one of the keynote speakers at this thing. He actually was one of the three, four people performing that closed the whole expo. So I was like, oh my God, it's Brett James. I know that dude. So I just walked up to him at the gate and just thanked him for playing and inspiring and what he did. And then he is like the sweetest dude. He's like the Prince of Nashville. He just started asking me questions about, about, what I did and where I'm from and what I do in Nashville and what I like to listen to. Taking and an actual interest. And- he, yeah. He just, he didn't have to do that at all. He was like hanging out in his pajamas with his guitar on his back, ready to go on this flight. And <laughs> he just started talking to me. And, and that's honestly how it started with him. He asked for my contact stuff and I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I, I flew back to Nashville. We we're on the same flight. Didn't see him again though. Um, and you're thinking like, Oh, this, I don't know what that means. It's probably nothing. He was just being nice. And like four or five days later, he actually called me and said, Hey, it's Brett. Um, I was wondering if you want to come by the studio and continue this conversation. And I was like, wow, (laughs) my jaw dropped and was just like, hell yes. Like, why not? So, um, that was amazing. I mean, he just really 
believed in what I did and, and brought me under his wing to like help engineer some of his artists that he had signed, like Kit Moore is one of his artists. You know, he kind of let me watch him write songs with these big hit writers and stuff. So it was such an amazing opportunity. And I was just working like 15 hours a day at a studio, just engineering everything he did. And I did that for maybe a year or so all while Savvy and I were just writing and stuff, but he kind of really just, he kind of just mentored me and showed me the ropes. What's that? He didn't have to. And he, he absolutely chance on a kid. Didn't need to. And that's (laughs) it. That's it. He just kind of took a chance on me. And And that's everything. Yeah. 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 And it was, yeah, it was a game changer. (laughs) Do you stay in touch with Brett? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish I spoke to him more, but I mean, he's such a busy dude and you know, we shoot some emails back and forth. And when I go to Nashville, I try to like hang out with them. And I actually see, I talked to Kip as well. It was, <laughs> which is pretty cool. So I, I talked to Kip still and, um, but I know Brett's doing well and I, you know, I love hearing his success stories and everything. So, so, so if Kip Moore comes out with a house infused country ballad, I'll know who's, who's responsible. The two of you. <laughs> That would be dope. You better be on it, man. We better be on it. You better be on it. You better be on it. Oh, Oh, man. That's cool. That's a cool idea. Talk about a genre that they haven't really mixed yet. I know. I mean, you you might be on to something, my friend. Guys, I just, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe you should consider having me your manager. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. So. so I guess kind of what so what I've learned from you guys, right, and the lessons that I, that I'm kind of taking away from this is first, um, you got to believe in yourself. You have to stay true to your vision. You have to not let your circumstances or the fashion of wherever you are make you change because the only the only edge you have is your uniqueness. Right? That was that's like really the first mm-hmm. lesson from what your your experience in Nashville. The second lesson is you just got to keep going and you got to understand that the process is going to take time. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's going to take time. Right. And, and then the third thing is, you know, when, when you're out there looking for a manager or someone on your team to represent you, you know, the personality has to jive. They have to believe in you. They have to have the connections to help you make your vision possible. They have to understand your vision and they have to be willing to give you honest and often brutal feedback. Yes. 100% accurate. Yeah. All of the above. Can I get a recording of you saying that so I can listen to it in the morning? <laughs> well, that, well but the, I've, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Sometimes I need to hear it too. <laughs> I think it's called a podcast. It's called a podcast. <laughs> but but we, can, we can cut up that, you know, if you guys want. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's a great soundbite. That I is know. a good soundbite. Yeah. Um, any any yeah. parting words of advice for anybody who's listening or maybe for yourselves when you listen to this again? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just uh, love the journey, you know, because. It's going to be a crazy ride. Yeah. And it, and it's going to be one of those things. It's, it's, it's not, it truly isn't about the destination. Cause you know, like we said, we had that song with Blau. It was awesome. It was the first time, but if we didn't love the process to get there, it kind of would have, it wouldn't have been the same. And then you have to remember to keep going. So, um, 
it's just just keep loving what you're doing and and remember the reason why you got into it in the first place yeah that's awesome (laughs) Mark, Savvy, thank you guys so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having us. And we're gonna put we're gonna put links to to your solo projects and everything in the show notes. And uh, this is awesome. So thank you guys so much. Thank Thank you you. very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Good talking to you. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Check out Schmarks and Savvy's new song, Somebody Real, linked in the show notes, as well as their social media profiles to follow all their new releases. If you know someone who you think would enjoy hearing Mark and Savannah's story, be sure to share this episode with them. Until then, we'll see you next week with a brand new story on The Big Break. 